everyone. It's good to see you all. If you've tuned in on Facebook and Instagram or on YouTube, glad that you could join us this morning. And if you're tuned in a podcast, glad you're listening. And if you're a visitor here this morning, we love having visitors. And we want to give you this warm round of applause to make you feel welcome. Good to have you here. Fear. Has anybody here ever been afraid? Anybody here been afraid? Will you raise your hand wherever you are if you've ever been afraid, okay? If you have any fear in you at all, just raise your hand. Get it right up so I can see it. That's good, that's good, so we can see it. Let me just tell you this about fear. Fear is actually a very healthy thing up to a point. And at a certain point, it become overwhelming and it can be destructive in our lives. Can I say to you this morning, if you have no fear at all anywhere in your life, you are either not very smart because there are some things you should be afraid of, or else you're a psychopath. And if you're a psychopath, we will lay hands on you, and we'll also phone the Gardaí for you, just to be sure. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about fear, but I don't want to make fear the hero, and make Jesus the hero. Can we get an amen? We don't want to make fear the hero, and we don't want fear to be the hero in our lives. We want Jesus to be the hero in our lives. I call this morning's message, Petrified. Because when we talk about being petrified, it might be colloquialism. I know we use it in the English-speaking world. To be petrified means to be frozen with fear. It also means to be changed. So let me, let, me give you, let me give you the definition of what petrified is. So to be petrified means this. It means to be so frightened that one is unable to move. Terrified. I don't know if you've ever been terrified in your life. I've been terrified in my life. There's also to be changed into a rock-like substance. Hence, to be petrified means to be frozen with fear. It is not God's intention for you to be frozen with fear. Can I get an amen? amen? That is not God's plan. It's not God's purpose. It's not what God wants for your life. But fear is an interesting uh, state of mind. It's an interesting emotion. It is probably the most powerful of all human emotions and states of mind. It causes us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. Causes us to say things that we wouldn't normally say. And it's at the root of addiction. It's at the root of distraction. It's at the root of so many destructive practices and behaviors in our lives is fear. The fear of going without. The fear of missing out. Fear is at the root of so many things that happen in our lives. And sometimes it happens to us unbeknownst. Now in the Bible, the subject of fear and the negative side of fear is covered significantly. So in the Bible, there are two significant fears we should look at. One is called the fear of man. And that is when we're afraid of other people. What other people might do to us. What other people might think of us. What other people might say about us. And then there is the fear of God. Because importantly, we want God to think right of us. We want God to do right by us. We want God's favor in our lives. Can I get an amen? amen? It is to the former one, though, that I want to focus on this morning. And that is the fear of people. You see, fear is an interesting state of mind. In the Bible, in the Bible, the term fear is used lots and lots of time. In fact, of all the negative states of mind, jealousy, envy, bitterness, anger, fear is the most significantly addressed 
um, state of mind. You know that, for instance, in the Bible, very often, especially in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, you'll read the phrase, do not be afraid. An angel appears and he says, do not be afraid. Or the Lord would say to his disciples, do not be afraid. Why is that? Because to be afraid was not right for that circumstance or for that situation. In actual fact, I've heard it said that um, uh, do not be afraid is written 365 times in the Bible so that we have one for every day of the year. But it isn't true. <laughs> it's only written between 80 and 100 times in the Bible. If you think it's 365 times, that is what they call Pinterest theology. That is where you see something on the internet and you go, oh, that must be true, without checking it out. But when you check it out, you discover it's still, by far and away, the most significantly addressed negative state of mind or state of heart. I want to look at somebody whose experience in the Bible was the state of fear. It was the state of fear until God got his hands on him. Somebody who was changed. Here's what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. It says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. It will trap you. A snare is a trap. It was used for catching wild animals. And what happens with fear? And the more that we fear men, the more and more trapped we become. The more we fear what people will think of us, what they'll say about us, what they'll do to us, what they'll do about us, the more and more trapped we become and the less likely we are to live the full lives that God intends us to live because then it says this but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe hallelujah that's the scripture I didn't make that up that's what it says in Proverbs 29 25 and believers in God believers in the God of the Bible have been believing this for four and a half thousand years already that's how long they've been believing and longer if you go back into the biblical history but I want to go specifically to the stage when it was written so I'm gonna look this morning at a guy called Peter anybody hear of Peter in the Bible Anybody ever think that they kind of reacted a bit like Peter sometimes in the Bible? Yeah, let's hands I see the hands, yes, yes, yes. Sometimes we don't always do the best of reactions. And I want to look today at Peter's great declaration. But before I do that and get into the Bible, I'd like us to pray. Will you pray with me? Will you stand with me just for a moment? Just for a moment. If you want the Lord to speak to you this morning, would you raise your hands wherever you are? Raise them up before the Lord. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would have ears to hear what your Spirit would say to your people today. Can I get an amen? amen? Lord, we pray today, Lord, that we wouldn't be asleep or switched off, but that our hearts and minds would be focused on your word and what it would say. We pray today, Lord, that the highlighter of your Holy Spirit would bring words to life for our lives today so that we may live better lives tomorrow. We ask you that your Holy Spirit would come upon us as we listen. Let nobody with a closed mind or closed heart leave here unspoken till we pray. In Jesus' mighty name of God's people say, Amen. 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 I want to look at Peter's great declaration. Many of you will know it from the Gospels. We're looking at Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at three short episodes from the Bible today. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus has told his disciples again, that this is what's going to happen to him. It says Jesus warned his disciples. He said the son of man is going to, be, is going to go up to Jerusalem. Where he will be fall into the hands of his persecutors. The leading priests and the religious. And they will crucify him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. And none 
of his guys understood it. None of Jesus' disciples understood it. They said, this is nonsense. This can't be true. And they all said, no, Lord, this isn't going to happen. Right? And, and especially they didn't hear the bit about him rising from the dead. And the reason they didn't get that is because that's not what happened to dead people. They were around dead people at times. And they knew that dead people didn't rise again. But Jesus said, the shepherd will be struck and all the sheep will scatter. Speaking of Jesus' disciples. And this is what the scripture records Peter's response was. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, Lord, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, Peter, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others said the same. All the others made the same vow. Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will never desert you. Yes, go on, you tell him, Peter. Yes, Lord, none of us are going to desert you. But Jesus knew better. Jesus knew who he was dealing with. And he knew who he was talking to. And he knew that Peter was full of himself. He was full of himself and that Peter was actually full of fear, not full of as much faith as he thought he was. And he was talking to Peter. He was the tough guy. He was the spokesman, a fisherman, hard out. You didn't miss a Peter. He was a tough guy. But Jesus knew what was going to happen to Peter. Jesus knows what's going to happen to you. Can I get an amen? amen? He knows your future. You don't know the future, but you can trust in the one who knows the future. Hallelujah. Amen. And Jesus had something up his sleeve for Peter. In actual fact, he had some divine appointments for Peter. Has anybody here ever had what they would consider a divine appointment? I've had them, I've had loads of them. What do I mean by a divine appointment? An appointment where you meet someone and you just know that God has put them into your path for his purpose and his plan to be carried out. Now normally when we talk about divine appointments, we think, oh yes, I had a divine appointment this morning, I met Sean and Sean gave me 500 euros, hallelujah. My kind of divine appointment. Or we say, I met someone this morning. I was in the canteen this morning. God brought about a divine appointment. And this girl sat down at my table. And we fell in love. And now we're going to get married and live happily ever after. Hallelujah. What a divine appointment. Or you meet somebody on a bus or on a train. And you, you, they ask you what you do. Normally when they ask me what I do. What do you do yourself? I say, I'm a pastor in a Christian, independent Christian church. And they don't ask any more questions. So I can't understand why. But somebody, you have a conversation with someone and they become a Christian. They're on the train or on the bus or on the plane, whatever it is. Hallelujah, divine appointment. But you know what God's divine appointments are really for? They're really so that God's work can be done in our lives. That's what God's divine appointments were. And so Peter has a couple of divine appointments lined up. But they're not the kind of divine appointments that you and I would normally like. We pick up the story a little bit further on in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. When they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of a guy called Malchus, who was the high priest's servant. And in the middle of all that melee, Jesus is arrested and all the disciples scatter. And Peter is now following Jesus from a distance as Jesus is now on trial and he's inside before the high priest Annas and Caiaphas and the family and all the religious and they're trying Jesus and asking him questions. And this is what takes place outside. 
Now, for the purposes of a bit of clarity in all of this, I want you to know this. The reason why Peter was recognized, according to the scripture, by many of these people was because of his accent. Because he had what you might call a country accent compared to the local kind of big smoke, big city slickers from Jerusalem. They recognized his accent. So for the purposes of this story, Peter's from Galilee, which is like out in the countryside. So let's say Peter's from Cork. Okay, so Peter has a has a cock accent, like that's what Peter talks like. But the people who live in Jerusalem, well, it's like the capital, so they're from Dublin. Okay, so we say they're from Dublin, so they kind of talk a little bit like that. You know what I mean? They kind of talk a little bit like they're from Dublin. So with that in context and that in mind, we're going to look at some of what the scripture has to say. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl, remember that, a servant girl came over and said to him. You was were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. I seen you, so I did. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, girl, he said. I don't know what you're talking about. It goes on. A little later, another servant girl notices him. And she said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus, the Nazareth. And again, Peter denied. And this time, with a note, he said, I don't even know the man, girl. I don't know the man, girl, at all, boy. I don't know him, he said. And further on, says a little later, some other bystanders came up to Peter and said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your Cork accent, a Galilean accent. Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man, boy. And immediately, the rooster crowed. And it says this. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. You see, Peter, who makes this big announcement, Peter, who is the big, hard, tough fisherman, he's the fighter, he's the sword swinger, is found out as he's hiding out in the courtyard by a little girl. A servant girl. We don't know what age she was. Maybe she was a young teenager. And when she spots him, she says, You were worth Jesus from Galilee. And Peter loses his life. I was not. I don't know who he is, girl. I don't know the man at all. And you see, when we see that, we realize that Peter, in all of his declarations, was speaking out of his own strength. Peter was full of himself, and he was actually full of fear. Because when it came to it, two little servant girls confronted this big, hairy muscle man who had tufts of hair on his chest and tufts of hair under his arms and tufts of his hair coming out everywhere. Big, hairy man. And yet when they said to him, you're from Galilee, he said, I don't even know who Jesus is. And he denies him. And so Peter is found out if you will, because he was full of himself, because Peter just had notions about himself. All of his actions were rooted in who he was. That's what it was, in his own physical, natural abilities. But God doesn't intend us to lean on our natural, physical capabilities. He intends us to lean on his Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen? That's what God's intention for you is. Not to go in and go about your business without the power of God. You'll never be able to follow Jesus. You'll never be able to fulfill the life and plan and purpose that God has for you. In your own strength and in your own ability, you need the power of the Holy Spirit in you. It's the thing about fear is this. The fear is often described as an acronym. F-E-A-R. And it means this. False expectations appearing real. That's what it means. False expectations appearing 
real. And sometimes in our minds and in our souls and in the way that we think, false, false expectations can overwhelm us. Something goes wrong and we begin to catastrophize, just like Tom referenced earlier. Emily Dickinson, we hear a bit of bad news. We hear that we've got, or we wake up in the morning, we've got a pain in our leg and we're thinking we better ring the undertaker. That's the way our minds can just take off. We can begin to begin to imagine all sorts of terrible outcomes when we hear a little bit of bad news because fear begins to take over. But God is not the author of that kind of fear. The enemy, the devil, he's the author of that kind of fear. That's where that fear comes from. And you know, it's often said that the, the, the devil is in the detail. And I think that is true. In the details is where the devil is. But he's also in the fog. The fog of fear that descends over our lives. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but this kind of irrational fear where you just have this anxiety and there's no root behind it. Like people, it's literally referred to as generalized anxiety disorder. People just have this general pot of fear just boiling and simmering away in their lives and they don't know what's causing it. Well, let me give you two pieces of advice that are worth, worth considering, I think. The first one is this, identify your fear. Because when you are going around with something in your mind or in your heart or in your soul and you, you know that you sense a fear, it's important that you identify it. What is it that you're afraid of? What exactly is it that you're afraid of? Because people go through their lives with this general underlying sense of fear or fear of outcomes or fear of people or fear of situations, but they don't know exactly what it is that they are afraid of. I, I was talking to somebody recently and they were talking about that they were afraid that they would lose their job. Their situation was, was a bit precarious. They were afraid they'd lose their job. And I said, but it's not very realistic, is it? I mean, it's not like you're on the verge of losing the job. And as we continued the conversation, it went all the way back and all the way back and all the way back. And it turned out that he didn't have a fear of losing his job. He had a fear of poverty because he grew up in poverty-stricken circumstances and his dad was poor. And he didn't want to be like his dad, but now here it is worked out all the way up here in his livid fear of losing his job. And he keeps his mouth shut and his head down because he doesn't want to lose his job when that's not what he's afraid of. He's actually afraid of being poor. Are you with me? So we have to identify our fear. The other is this, and I think this is really important, because sometimes when things like this, strong emotions overtake our lives, we almost give them free reign at times. This is important. You need to interrogate your fear. You need to ask it, why am I afraid? Why am I afraid of breaking up with that girlfriend who hasn't brought me any joy or any happiness and our relationship is not good? Why am I afraid of that? Find out what's going on. Interrogate your fear because your fear will often interrogate you. It's time to turn the tables and begin to ask some questions. What am I afraid of and why am I afraid of it? If you have a fear of poverty, for instance, if you have a fear of poverty, let me tell you this. The Lord is your provider. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, is what David said. Because we have to take God's counsel and apply it even to our fears and the things that frighten us. Are you with me? So we need to identify our fear and interrogate our fear. And so we see Peter, who appears, who appears in this situation, frightened, frozen, 
petrified in fear that he would be found out. It was a well-founded fear because he knew that the people who were going to kill Jesus would kill him if he was associated with him. It was a well-founded fear, but it was a fear nonetheless. And it was in him and it was controlling him and it caused him to deny Jesus himself. So I want to flash forward now to Acts chapter 4. What's happened in the meantime is the whole story of the New Testament. What's happened in the meantime? Jesus has been crucified. On the third day, he has risen again. Hallelujah. He's appeared to his disciples. He has restored Peter for the three denials that Peter made of Jesus. Jesus restored him three times. You can read it in John's Gospel, chapter 21, if you want to read that passage of the scriptures. Then after that, Jesus meets with his disciples on several occasions. Eventually, he ascends into heaven and he tells them, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power. And then when that happens on the day of Pentecost, Peter goes out. He preaches the good news about Jesus and 5,000 people become Christians that day alone. And suddenly we see a different Peter. But Peter has yet to go back into, as it were, he has yet to go back into the furnace where he was trying, the furnace he was trying to avoid the last time. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 4 and we see a slightly different Peter. Here's what it records. Peter and John are going up to the temple. They heal a man who's been crippled since birth. As a result of that, the religious authorities in Jerusalem have decided, no more of this. We're getting rid of this cult. We're getting rid of this sect. We're getting rid of this propaganda. We're going to stop this whole Jesus thing right in its tracks. And they call Peter and John in and they arrest them and they interrogate them. And this is what it says. The next day, the council of the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, two of the people who condemned Jesus to death. John, Alexander, and the other relatives of the high priest. They brought the two disciples in and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? By what power? Who do you think you are? Is the question. Who do you think you are? What power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, notice the difference, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, we are being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man. Do you want to know how he was healed? Little did they know the testimony that was about to come. They were trying to stop the name of Jesus. And now Peter is standing there in front of the very same authorities. And the difference, he's no longer full of himself. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's what God wants for you. And you, and you, and me. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not full of ourselves, not full of our notions, not full of our ideas, and certainly not full of our fears, but full of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. Would you like to be full of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Wherever you are, Amen. would you raise a hand if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Hallelujah. We're going to pray a little bit later that God will fill us with his Holy Spirit. Amen. That God will fill us with his Holy Spirit as we go into our week. Do you want to know how he was healed, Peter says? And I can just imagine the glint in his eye. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me state clearly to all of you, he said, and to the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Hallelujah. And the testimony that Peter couldn't sign up to that Jesus would die and was raised again from the dead, the thing that he said to, Peter, to Jesus, no, Lord, that's never going to happen to you. 
is the very thing he now testifies as having happened. That Jesus was crucified, but he rose again on the third day. He's standing before them. He's the same man, but he's a different man. He's the same man, and he's the different man. Just like you, when you walked into a church many years ago for many of you, last week for some of you, this morning for some of you, you walked out of that church, the same man, but a different man. The same woman, but a different woman. You were different because God had begun something in your life. Something had happened to you. And when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, when you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're the same man or woman, but you're a different man or woman. Can I get an amen? amen. You're no longer the same. It says this, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the courage of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. They had no special training in the scriptures, nothing. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. You see, when Peter first is recognized as being with Jesus, it frightens the living daylights out of him. But no, he's for the second time recognized as having been with Jesus, but no, he's standing in faith. Do you see what I'm saying? You know what? If you spend time with Jesus, people know it. Do you know that? As a Christian, are you, hello, are you still awake? I hope you're awake. I'm shouting loud enough. If you spend time with Jesus, people will notice it. If you spend time praying, worshipping, seeking God, reading his word, being around his people, people will notice it. These men recognized them as people who had been with Jesus. Probably literally as having been, they probably saw him standing with Jesus. And also literally in the sense, or, and also metaphorically in the sense that they were, there was something different about these guys. They had been around Jesus. And so they called the apostles back in. Come back in, mallets. Come back in. Come back, come back in. And they commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. It's a simple enough instruction. If you're afraid, you're going to obey it. It's a simple instruction. Never again teach or speak in the name of Jesus. That's it. There's the instruction. What's Peter's response? But Peter said, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? What do you think God wants? Does God want you to obey him rather than your emotions? Does God want you to obey him rather than your hormones? Does God want you to obey him rather than some other important person in your life? No. Obey the Lord first. Can I get an amen? amen? We cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. If you have a story to tell, make sure you tell it. And say, Lord, will you open doors and open ears and open windows so that I may speak your word and tell people about what has done, what has done for me. Can anybody say that they've been a testimony of, a, Tom mentioned earlier, a breakthrough in your life? Something was going on in your life and you've had a breakthrough. Will you raise your hand wherever you are in the room? Some of you have never had a breakthrough in your life. Ah, oh, yes, I see you now. Look at the hands are going. Look at the tell someone about it. Hello, tell someone about it. Tell someone about what God has done for you. Tell them about what he means to you. Tell them about what is going on in your life. And that's why he says we cannot stop telling. He was so full of the Holy Spirit. He just couldn't stop telling people. He just couldn't stop telling people. And so you see the transformation in Peter. Peter, who was afraid, if you will, was petrified Peter. He was frozen. But that Peter is changed and he becomes what I'm calling petrified Peter. He becomes the Peter who is like a rock. That is what he becomes. Up to when he was full of his fears, he was weak. He was insipid. He was empty. He had nothing. But no, he has the filling of the Holy Spirit and his life becomes solid. 
And what he has to say becomes solid. It's the same for you. It's the same for you. When you know the filling of the Holy Spirit, when you begin to obey God rather than people, when you begin to obey God rather than your hormones, when you begin to obey God rather than your emotions, when you begin to obey God rather than your feelings or your fears, your life will become more solid. You have my word. And Jesus said it himself, but I don't have time to go into it right this very second. Let me look at this last episode here, right? Because I want to see how Peter goes the full circle. And about how God is at work in our lives in a complete way. So after these events, Peter finds himself in even further hot water. He's arrested along with John, one of his closest compatriots. John's, sorry, forgive me, he's arrested along with his friend James, one of his closest compatriots. And James is executed for his faith. His head is cut off because he's a Christian, by a guy called Herod. And Herod was delighted because this pleased the Jews. They were very happy with what Herod did to the bold James. And he planned to do the same to Peter. And he stuck him in a jail and he guarded him, put 16 soldiers guarding him, four sets of four soldiers guarding him night and day. And he's in a dungeon. And if you know the story from Acts chapter 12, during the middle of the night, an angel comes and frees Peter from prison. I strongly recommend you read it. It's a great story. Acts chapter 12. He frees him from prison, but it's so unreal that Peter thinks he's dreaming. All the time that the angel comes to him and the doors open and the chains fall off, Peter thinks he's dreaming. It's like, wow, this is an amazing dream. Oh, I wish, I, was, I wish this was real. I wish this was the real thing because I know that I'm sitting here in this prison and I'm going to die. And I think this time he really would have died for Jesus with a heart and a half. And so he's there, he has this dream, but then he, he thinks he's having a dream. But eventually he realizes that actually, no, he's awake. This is what it says. It says, when Peter finally came to his senses, it's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. And he went to the home of Mary, the mother of Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. Here's a simple clue. When God does something good in your life, make sure you gather with God's people. Make sure you go to where the people of God are. You go to where the people are worshipping and praying and praising God because that's where your life will be built. Could I get an amen from anyone? Just one of you. So he goes to the house and here's what happens. He knocked at the, at the, at the door and the gate and who goes to open it? A servant girl. Can you see the full circle being turned around? Peter, he denies with the first servant girl. He knocks at the door, let me in. And a servant girl named Rhoda comes to open it. And she recognizes Peter's voice. Can you see the picture now? The first servant girl recognized Peter's voice and it got him into the height of hot water and revealed that he was full of fear and full of himself. And this time, a servant girl hears his voice. She's overjoyed, and I love this part. She's so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she runs back inside and says, Peter is standing at the door. Peter, he's outside. I mean, really, it's Peter. They were all praying for Peter. It says that the church had gathered to pray for Peter. And they're all praying for Peter. And now Peter's outside the door and they're going, what? What are you, what are you on the board? It says this. It says, you're out of your mind. You must be mad. They said, but when she insisted, they said, ah, sure, it must be just his angel, which basically means he's dead. It's his ghost at the front door. That's what they're thinking. Like, they would accept the story of him being a ghost rather than the story of him being set free by the power of God. That's what they would accept. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. Do you know what? When you tell people the good news, some people will say, you're out of your mind. 
that's okay. That's okay. Everybody's somebody's fool. Best to be a fool for Jesus. Amen. Best to be a fool for Jesus. You're out of my mind, they said. But when she insisted, they said it must be his angel. I like the next line. It says, meanwhile, Peter continues knocking at the door. What were they praying for? Oh, Lord, let Peter die a happy death. Let him not deny you this time, Lord. What were they praying? Because the answer to their prayers is knocking at the door and they're on the knees going, Lord, be with Peter. Peter's at the door. <laughs> knocking at the door. Your, your prayers have been answered. No, you're out of your mind because God doesn't answer prayers. Oh, hang on a minute. No, no, no. What were they praying for? What are you praying for? What are you praying for? Are you praying just so that you can get through the suffering? Are you praying that God will raise up in your life his blessing and his favor? What are you praying for? Can you believe that God can turn your circumstances around? Yes. I know he can. He's turned mine around on multiple occasions. He can do it. Can I get an amen? amen. Peter's knocking at the door. They finally opened the door and they saw him and they were amazed. I just love the idea. That he's let down, but I just see the hand of God. I can just see the wink, as it were, of God. Looking at it, saying, when the servant girl said, you are with the Galileans, and he loses his noodle, and he cries like a little girl. I don't know, but I don't know who he is. This time, another servant girl, a girl called Rhoda, hears his voice and recognizes him, and it brings blessing. The first time he's recognized, it brings death. The second time he's recognized, it brings life. Hallelujah. Amen. I just want to say this morning, perhaps maybe there's some, one of the sisters, maybe one of the brothers, you can be called Rhoda too. We're all very open here. That maybe the Lord wants to use you like he used Rhoda. That God wants you to be a Rhoda this week. That this week you will hear the knock on the door. You will recognize the voice of God and you will open the door and that opening of that door will bring life and will bring salvation in your home. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me close our eyes just for, a minute, just for a second. If you want to say, Lord, use me like Rhoda, wherever you are, let's close our eyes. Will you raise your hand? Father in heaven, we open. We, uh, we open our hearts to you, Lord, and ask you that this week our ears would be open to you, Lord. May we hear the voice that speaks to us that God has done great things, Lord. And may we be the ones, Lord, who open the door so that salvation might come into the household, Lord Jesus Christ. May we be the ones whose ears are tuned into what the Spirit would say, Lord. I pray we would have sensitive hearts and sensitive souls, Lord, as we go in to the coming week. Lord, I pray that we would have divine appointments. Can I get an amen? amen? Lord, I pray that we as your people would have divine appointments that you would bring into our path the people you intend to bring into our path. And Lord, we pray that in those situations we will not be worried about what we will say but that your Holy Spirit will be speaking through us. Can I get an amen? amen. Can I get an amen? Let's just wrap up here, lads. Maybe the band will come up, lads. This is the final verse. It says this, He motioned to them to quieten down and he told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Maybe it is this week that if you are a Rhoda, if you are someone headed for a divine appointment, maybe it'll be you telling the story about how God set you free and let you out of prison. How God broke your shackles and set you free and that that message will be something that someone needs to hear. Not someone. Everyone needs to hear that message. But that this week you'll have a divine appointment where that will actually come into play. Can I get an amen? amen. Courage is not the absence of fear. 
It means that even when we're frightened, we're going to carry on. Can I get an amen? It means that, yes, I feel that there's a frightening situation here. There's a situation here that could be a threat to me, but I'm going to carry on. I'm going to pray that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with courage as we face the fears that we face this week. Whether it's a fear of a breakdown of a relationship, whether it's a fear of a breakdown of health, whether it's a fear of financial ruin, whatever your fear is, I want to pray that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll